She furrowed her brow. Antiseyanus was indeed right. The colonies may have just won the battle, but the war over making decisions for the colonies has just begun. Parliament may claim they have the right to tax the colonies, but the colonies will only rise up again if they try to do so. And the entire world will be watching to see what happens, no? Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. On today's episode, we'll feature Chapter 49 of The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, entitled Hard Acts to Follow. So it only seems right to bring out our three acts that are also hard to follow. Uh, first, our resident feline, who's especially hard to follow up a tree. I fly like a jungle cat, no? Uh, oui, madame. Lisette Brion. Next, a tiny chap who's hard to follow into just about any tight spaces of three inches or less. <laughs> Indeed, I'm rather stealth, like 007. More like point zero 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 seven. Uh, Nigel P. Monaco. And finally, the wee Scotty dog who's just plain hard to follow sometimes. Ah, hard your wished. Don't be a wee claim then. Nah. And also with you. Uh, Maximilian Braveheart the Bruce. Hi, announcer lad. You be blithering heaver. Yeah, well, same to you, buddy. Uh, did you bring in the mail? Oh, no, s'il vous plaît, no. Oh, relax, kitty. I didn't see you prancing out there to get it. And I weren't slobbering on anything you'd be interested in. No, not anymore. I say, was there a small package addressed to me? <laughs> well, I can't imagine you getting a big package then. <laughs> well, touche, old boy. It's from the old English tweed shop. I'm expecting some elbow patches for my favorite tweed jacket. Uh, what size were they, Nigel? They would be small. <laughs> yes, you're quite the card, aren't you? Uh, Mosey, were they wee tiny little leather pieces? Uh, indeed. Do you have them? <laughs> well, they were chewy and... Uh, I'm sorry, lad. I thought they were wee doggy treats. Oh, dear. Max, how could you? Uh, they should turn up in a couple of days. Say no, Nigel. Just say no. Uh, so was there anything in the mail that hasn't been ruined in some way? Aye. I got a notice addressed to Max or Resident Canine. <laughs> well, I be both. Uh, they're having tryouts for the ultimate dog frisbee team down at the dog park. I think the official name is Canine Disc. Have you, uh, you ever played? <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm a Scottish dog. We're brave... We're tenacious, we're loyal, and you're rather uh, low to the ground. Ouch, that hurts coming from you, Mosey. Uh, so what would you have to do? Well, the tryouts are Saturday. Uh, what day is this, lad? It's too, 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 too late to start getting in shape, don't you think? Again, that hurts coming from you, lad. Touché. But could you help me? Can any of you fling a frisbee? Uh, do not look at me, Mesemi. Well, announcer, lad? Well, sure, we used to play with them in the backyard pool. Whereas we use frisbees as a backyard pool. <laughs> so I shall decline. Well, monsieur, you are it. So it would seem. Uh, here you go, lad. I already got one in retis. Oh, très bien. More doggy slobber. Well, then, announcer chap, uh, let's have a fling, shall we? Well, okay, but normally I wouldn't do this inside the studio. We, oui, uh, so listeners and listener doggies, uh, do not try this at home. 
Yeah, okay, so I'm just gonna give it a little flip, and Max, you jump up and catch it. Hey, lad, this should be a piece of cake then. Okay, boy, ready? Ruff. All right, here you go. Huh. Whoops. Uh-oh. Oh, dear me. All that from one little frisbee. I say, perhaps it should have been a piece of cake, what? We preferably a sponge cake. <laughs> Sponge cake, jolly good old girl. <laughs> I thought you were going to flip it to me. Oh, I thought you were going to jump. Well, maybe you should have warned me then. Well, that's what doggy disc dogs do. They jump and catch it in their teeth. <laughs> Seems we all caught it in the teeth, what? <laughs> well, if you hadn't thrown it so high. Well, you didn't even try to catch it. Well, it went way over me head. Gentlemen, gentlemen. And are you sit term loosely? Uh, enough with the bickering, huh? I believe we have a chapter to present, no? Uh, indeed. And a, uh, a, a clean-up crew to employ, yes. Uh, so, provided any of your remaining equipment still works, uh, press play, for this will indeed be a, uh, a hard act to follow. Chapter 49. Hard Acts to Follow. Roundabout Plantation, May 1766. If we yield to them in this particular manner, by repealing the Stamp Act, it is all over. They will from that moment assert their freedom. <laughs> I say, I rather like this anti-Seyanus fellow, Nigel chuckled, tapping the London Chronicle. He twirled his whiskers as he read the Englishman's rant. I doubt the old boy realizes how prophetic he was while wielding his perturbed pen. Liz and Nigel sat by a lantern in the brand-new Henry home of Roundabout in Louisa County. Newspapers from London and the colonies were spread across the table, filled with letters, cartoons, and the glorious news of the repeal of the hated Stamp Act. All London had remained in an uproar as merchants brought pressure on Parliament to repeal the Stamp Act. After the colonial boycott of British goods had reduced trade by a staggering one million British pounds, Parliament at last voted to repeal the Stamp Act by a vote of 249 to 49. But to send a clear message to the colonies that Great Britain remained sovereign over them, Parliament passed the Declaratory Act on the very same day. Patrick's busy four-county circuit-riding law practice led him to Hanover Courthouse where he once more was celebrated by the people with a huge celebration in Hanover Tavern. Word reached the colony in May that the Stamp Act had been repealed in March, and the local people could scarcely contain their pride over their hometown hero. Patrick Henry had become a household name as his fame spread throughout the colonies for sounding the alarm about the Stamp Act. Toasts were made in his honor, along with toasts to those in Parliament, who had supported the colonies in repealing the cursed act, including William Pitt and Isaac Barr. The colonists believed that King George III must have stepped in for them as well, putting his foot down on an overreaching parliament. Surely their beloved young king was innocent of having caused such tension with the colonies, and desired harmony with his loyal subjects once more. So the colonists drank toasts to their king as celebrations erupted up and down the Atlantic seaboard. Houses were lit with candles, fireworks were set off in grand illuminations, balls were held in Williamsburg and other cities, and songs were composed for the festive occasions. At Hanover Tavern, 
The newspapers were passed around and then sent home with Patrick to share the happy news with his family. Today, Sally had cooked a special meal and invited their family and close friends to join them in their own celebration. They were especially happy to have Samuel and Elizabeth Crowley attend as the young couple was visiting Hanover from the frontier of Virginia. Patrick played his fiddle and everyone danced jigs. The Henry's new four-room, one-and-a-half-story home was filled with the aromas of delicious food, joyful music, laughter, and exuberant hearts. Patrick proudly showed everyone the grounds of Roundabout, with its 1,900 acres where he would grow tobacco, wheat, and other crops. The house sat on a hill, with gently sloping fields away from it on all sides. There was plenty of room for the children to run barefoot and free, exploring the woods and nearby Roundabout Creek, just as Patrick had done as a boy. The house was made with hand-hewn lumber, with three rooms downstairs, and a long room lit by dormer windows upstairs. All around the house were outbuildings such as the overseer's cabin, slave quarters, tobacco sheds, horse stable, barn with farm animals, carriage and wagon sheds, blacksmith shop, well house, and smokehouse. The Sons of Liberty have vowed to stage this Stamp Act repeal celebration each year to remember America's victorious stand against tyranny. Liz reported joyfully, gazing over a Boston Gazette, her tail slowly curling up and down. They also plan to keep the colonies writing to one another to watch this new declaratory act. The pride of Parliament simply would not allow them to repeal the Stamp Act without declaring that they have the right to tax and make decisions for the colonists in all cases. She furrowed her brow. Antiseyanus was indeed right. The colonies may have just won the battle, but the war over making decisions for the colonies has just begun. Parliament may claim they have the right to tax the colonies, but the colonies will only rise up again if they try to do so, and the entire world will be watching to see what happens, no? Indeed. Great Britain realizes that the colonies are an important source of strength, but colonies in rebellion can only strengthen Britain's enemies, Nigel agreed. Well, for now, the colonies can resume a happy relationship with their king and the mother country, despite the irritating declaratory act. Until Parliament does more than puff up its chest with fighting words, the colonies shall ignore it. We, oui, and with the imminent departure of Rockingham and William Pitt coming back to the helm of Great Britain, perhaps things will remain calm for a season, Liz added. Pitt will be King George's fourth Prime Minister to form his fifth new government in six years, Nigel added. The King loves to play musical Prime Ministers as much as our Patrick loves to play his fiddle. And he played it with such joy tonight. Things are going so well for Mon Henry, Liz cheered with dancing eyes. He has built this new home for his happy family, and his law practice is booming. He is able to invest in Western lands, help his father and in-laws, and is now even a vestryman at the Trinity Parish Church. His reputation continues to soar. The people love him, no? So what is next for Patrick? Her eyes narrowed, staring at Patrick's fiddle and thinking about the next part of the riddle. Hmm, a voice that is hungry. That sounds more like a riddle about my Albert. 
I quite thought the same thing, my dear. How can a voice be hungry? Nigel wondered. He scurried over to the fiddle and held up his tiny bow with a broad smile. Shall we see if Gilliman can give us a clue? The mouse proceeded to pull his bow across the fiddle, and once more musical notes lifted into the air, magically growing larger with glowing words inside them. Good evening, little ones. Tonight was a happy celebration in the Henry home. You should be very pleased with how your mission is going with the voice. Liz's eyes glowed, reflecting the rising golden musical notes that evaporated into the ceiling without a trace. She smiled with renewed wonder as the animals reconnected with Gilliman through Patrick's fiery fiddle. We, oui, the Henry family, that celebrated the Stamp Act repeal, Liz exclaimed. Gilliman, we are so very happy about this news, but we already wonder about the Declaratory Act and what it could mean for the colonies. Yes, and what about the next part of the fiddle's riddle? How can a voice be hungry, if we might ask? Nigel chimed in. Well, it does not have to do with Al, Liz. Britain imposed the Sugar Act, the Stamp Act, and now the Declaratory Act on the colonies, but there will be harder acts to follow, and those hard acts will make the voice hungry to act in response. Liz and Nigel glanced at one another with perplexed looks. Gilliman, the colonies wish to remain loyal to King George. Even Patrick sang his praises tonight. The humans believe that the king supports them and that Parliament is the true problem. But is this true? The colonies are sadly mistaken. Young King George was not led astray by Parliament and his cabinet. He supported Grenville's plan for the Stamp Act. When that plan failed, he replaced Grenville with Rockingham, who is another failure. Soon King George will bring back Pitt as Prime Minister, but he is not finished shaking up his cabinet. The truth about King George will eventually become clear to Patrick, to Virginia, and to the other colonies with the hard acts to follow. A shake-up of leadership is also coming in the Virginia House of Burgesses. Patrick Henry himself is a hard act to follow, Nigel quipped. That nervous Governor Farquhar is not taking any chances with calling the Assembly back to Williamsburg any time soon, not after the effect Patrick had on the House. It has been an entire year since the Governor dissolved them. Liz's eyes widened as a distant memory from long-ago London filled her mind. Gilliman, I understand it now. Sissa! She turned to Nigel. Do you remember when we were on mission at George F. Handel's house in London and read the letter John Henry sent to his cousin David, congratulating him on his wedding? Nigel tapped his chin and then snapped his fingers. I do indeed, my pet. We were gathered around the flickering fire, and Max brought us the letter from which he first learned that David had family in the colony of Virginia. We, oui. and in that letter we also first heard the name of Patrick Henry, Liz replied, her eyes bright with understanding. I immediately had a feeling he was destined for greatness. Do you remember what I said his name meant? Uh, noble ruler of the house, Nigel replied, but... Which house? Suddenly, Nigel understood and popped his paw on his forehead. 
Of course. Noble ruler of the House of Burgesses, Liz announced happily. We knew he was the voice in the house, but not until now did I grasp the full meaning of Patrick's name. He is a noble ruler of his own house, but Mon Henry must be destined to live up to his name in the House of Burgesses as well. Is this correct, Gilliman? Very good, Liz. I knew the meaning would become clear to you with time. Patrick Henry will indeed now, with the changing of the guard, take the lead as noble ruler of the House of Burgesses. And as things become clear to him about King George and the direction of Parliament, he will nobly lead the Assembly through these hard acts to follow. The ball of the revolution will pick up speed with every act that comes. I cannot wait to see what happens, enthused Liz. Since shake-ups are coming with Great Britain and the House of Burgesses, might I inquire as to any shake-ups coming with the Order of the Seven and our respective posts, Nigel asked. Max and Kate have succeeded in their protective mission with Lafayette. Kate will remain with the young Marquis while Max returns to America. Max will go directly to Boston and join Clary for a while. Nigel, you will eventually join Al in London to assist matters with Benjamin Franklin. Nigel furrowed his brow, continuing to pull his bow across Patrick's fiddle. Understood, Gilliman. But I had quite expected to encounter Dr. Franklin again sooner. You shall encounter Dr. Franklin soon, in a way. A successful trip to Williamsburg awaits you and the noble ruler of the house. As the last notes drifted away, Liz and Nigel knew that Gilliman was gone. Successful? Liz asked, drawing a chuckle from Nigel as she tried to pronounce the funny word with her French accent. What could he possibly have meant by that? Nigel preened his whiskers and remembered the funny flying squirrel he and Cato had met in Philadelphia. <laughs> My dear, if our trip is anything like Philadelphia, then it shall indeed be a hard act to follow. Hey gang, Monsieur Announcer Lad here. Uh, of course you can call me Denny, though very few seem to do so. And I'm with Playful World Ministries, reminding you that this podcast and every episode of the Epic Order of the Seven are made possible through the generous giving of our Playful World Ministries supporters, and we are very grateful. If you'd like to be a part and play a vital role in helping this ministry continue to produce quality, family-friendly entertainment, please click on the Giving Fuel link that you'll find in the notes that come with each episode. And thank you for considering Playful World Ministries. <laughs> I say, nice catch, old boy. We oui, très bien, Max. Uh, thanks, but I don't know. Me legs be getting tired from all the running and jumping then. But that's how you're going to get in shape for those tryouts. No pain, no gain, mon ami. Press on to win the prize, Max. Focus on the thrill of victory. Right now I'm focused on the agony of defeat. Because me feet be killing me then. All right, let, let's take a break, Max. But hey, you know, you're really improving. You got some skills, buddy. We, oui, you are really good at scooping up the low throws. Indeed. Huh. Top draw, major league, and all that. Well, you're all very kind. But I seen them doggies on TV, and I'm not built for jumping way up in the air like they do. 
But this is team doggy disc, so, you know, it, they may need all kinds of skills. But the tryouts are this Saturday. I don't know if I have what it takes. If you do not try out, you still will not know. <laughs> right, old boy. Uh, what have you got to lose? Oh, me pride, me dignity. Uh, two things that none of us really needs, no? Uh, not to mention a Saturday afternoon I won't get back. I'm afraid I'm just wasting me time. All right, stop. <laughs> uh, let's go over to Jenny's corner. I'll bet she has some things that get in her way sometimes and seem like wasted time, huh? Well, let's see how she copes, what? Uh, hello, Miss Jenny. Hey, Nigel. Uh, greetings. Uh, we've been discussing time that's seemingly wasted. Oui, madame. Uh, what kinds of things do you deal with that seem to keep you from your writing? In my workshop on the wind, the road, and the way, it's called Road, and I talk about the journey of writing a book. Everything from starting from a blank piece of paper to the finished product of a book. And so it's kind of a fun workshop because for those of you who are interested in how does a book come together, what are all the steps that an author has to go through? And in that workshop, I go through a little fun segment on what causes writer's block. And, you know, it comes from several things and it could be distractions like people living in your house. Um, I actually had to move my whole office upstairs. It used to be down in my sunroom for years for the first <laughs> eight books. And then my son, of course, is long gone, but my husband semi-retired and is no longer going to the office every day. And so I did not have a door <laughs> that I could close. So it necessitated me commandeering my son's old room and moving upstairs and all of this. So yes, sometimes it's noise in your household. Many times it's the to-do list, the chore of things that I have to get done. I'm still a regular person, you know. I got a house to run. I've got dogs to feed. I've got a husband to cook for. I do laundry, all those good things, go to the grocery store. And when I'm in the heat of battle working on a novel, I'm writing about six days a week, and so it gets kind of tough to find the time to put those things in. And sometimes if I know I've got to get something done in the household, it can distract me even from writing. So I just have to stop, lose a few hours, and get it done. So sometimes the things that are weighing on our mind and bugging us, that can be a distraction and might make your brain kind of go in different directions. And so that's something that I have to be careful of. Another big thing that does waste my time, but this is a good problem, and it's one of those things that can be a blessing in disguise, I have always over-researched. I've done this since I was a kid. You wonder why my books are so long? Ask my teachers growing up. I always wrote too long. If I got counted off on a paper, it's because I wrote too much. That's because I research so much and I get so much information. Sometimes it paralyzes me because I don't know what I should use, what I should delete. So when I get stuck, it's usually because I have too much information. The waste of time is trying to figure out what to do with this extra stuff I've gotten. <laughs> but indeed, much of that extra stuff is still important. On the other hand, what kind of interruptions can you count on as uh, blessings in disguise? Sometimes when I am stuck and I am being called or contacted by friends, 
and it's seen as like an interruption and it's like, oh, I can't talk to you right now. And I go ahead and I take the call or whatever. So many times that's because God was saying, Jenny, you need to hear from this person. They need to tell you something important. It's going to affect your thinking. It's going to affect your writing. And I think I've shared this with you before that my dear friend and my primary muse, Claire Roberts Foltz, you'll see her quote in the front of every single book of mine. She is my key critique team leader. Many times when I am stuck, I've had to call Claire and say, hey, I need help figuring this out. But many times too, she just happened to call me and I was sitting there stuck and God prompted her to call me. And that was just such a blessing in disguise. And sometimes I just need talking to Claire three minutes and my brain opens up and I know exactly what to write. But anytime you hear from someone who loves you, it's always a blessing in disguise. I say much obliged, Miss Jenny. And well, there you are, Max. Uh, Rather than find all the reasons you may or may not measure up, look for the maker's purpose in all of it. We look for the blessings in disguise. All right, then. I'll keep practicing and I'll do the tryout. I say, now, that's the spirit, old chap. Uh, And one thing, then, uh, will you go with me this Saturday? Oh, bien sûr, of course. I wouldn't miss it. Well, all right, then. And announcer lad, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Mr. Dinny. Whoa. Um, yeah, Max. Uh, Will you keep coaching me, lad? I would count it a privilege. Well, then, it is settled, what? Oh, this is exciting. Merci for helping Max, Monsieur Dinny. Wow, twice in one episode. Um, uh, thanks, Liz. Uh, but monsieur, uh, one little thing. Your release. My release? Oui, with the disc. Uh, when you release, uh, make sure your arm is fully extended when you let go of the disc. Uh, in fact, you may want to stretch a little bit first. Well, yeah. And while we're on it, uh, your throws seem to be tailing off a bit to the right. I see. I believe you may be dropping your elbow, old uh, boy. Dropping dropping my elbow. We, oui, I saw it too. He was dropping his elbow. And uh, you want to plant your feet and shift your weight to the front foot as you release. Well, that yeah, that makes sense. Yes, and, and, and keep your shoulders parallel to the spot you intend for the disc to travel. Right, I, I thought and, I would... And uh, I suggest you grip the disc with two fingers well, instead of one. Two fingers. Uh, for better control. This from someone with no thumbs. Oh, boy, thanks. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! Be sure to extend your arms! And keep that elbow up. And always remember, you are loved and you are able.